Welcome to the Qualitox Podcast, a show about pharma and GMP. The pharmaceutical industry is a fascinating and complex field, and it takes countless people to bring a product to the market. In this podcast, we bring you some of the industry's brightest minds who will share their wisdom with you. You will learn about various subjects such as GMP, new trends in pharma, and leadership. This episode is sponsored by Dot Compliance, the industry's first ready-to-use quality management solution powered by the Salesforce platform. Deploying a new EQMS has never been quicker or more cost-effective. And now, please welcome your host, Jan Kugel. Welcome to the Qualitox Podcast. I'm your Google host and my guest today is Jerry Chapman. Jerry is a senior GMP quality expert at Redica Systems. He has been in the industry since 1978. And this is my second part of my talk with him about things that don't change in pharma. And today we're going to talk about technology, why it's not changing and where it is heading with several examples from what Jerry does at uh, Radical Systems and it has to do with uh, FDA findings and uh, how systems AI and automation can help with it to prevent it and to improve the quality at uh, farm organizations. Before we get to our talk with Jerry, I want to remind you that uh, Qualister is now a knowledge provider. If you go to www.qualistory.com, you will find a social Q&A engine. You can ask their questions about GMP, get answers from experts around the world, or you can also contribute to the questions of others by answering them and sharing your knowledge with them. And you will also gain points and credibility and a good feeling for that. So please go to www.qualitary.com and check it out. And now let's get to our talk with Jerry. So Jerry, you have been in the pharmaceutical industry for quite a while now. So what is your opinion on the digital progression in the pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, throughout the years and in comparison to other industries? The issue has always been what we call post-approval changes. Once you have registered a process, then making any changes in that process is difficult. I was in biosynthetic insulin manufacturing, and we made what was a really important discovery in a way that we could make our process much more efficient, and uh, it would translate into a much uh, more cost-effective product, you know, and a cheaper product for the consumers. But it was going to take years to implement it. We could implement it in the plant in six months, but but we did, couldn't get the regulatory approval. So we'd have to have uh, had get the regulatory approval in stages, right? So this con- this company country will approve it in a year. In this country, it's going to take three years. This country is probably going to take four years. And so in the meantime, you have all these different inventories that you need to manage, right? So. This was made. This was made with method A, and we can sell it here. This was made in method B. We can sell it here. Method C goes over here, and and you manage that over years, and it's a nightmare. 
so that has been a real issue with the uh, with looking at advanced technologies and, and upgrading manufacturing processes. And if you look at other industries that are also highly regulated, they have managed to upgrade uh, their technologies. Now, if you'll talk to FDA, for example, uh, there was a presentation done recently where uh, FDA was talking about their advanced manufacturing technology teams. They have a lot of efforts underway that can help companies come in and register new technologies. And there's been some work recently. So ICHQ 12 is out now uh, on lifecycle management and post-approval changes. And I think that's going to help. So that's a recent effort that is uh, helping something that we've been dealing with for decades. But there are still issues. You know, there are still issues with uh, established conditions and what does that mean? Q12 has uh, some annexes with uh, examples. Those are really helpful. FDA has some examples as they are working to implement it as well, but it's still problematic. So that's one of those things that is has changed some, but not a lot. It's still very problematic. Can you give um, a bit of examples or some overview of what Q12 tries to resolve and how it does it? Yeah, so Q12 was trying to reduce cost and, uh, and time burdens on industry and, and support continual improvement. So it's trying to, trying to do that by looking at post-approval changes and coming up with some uh, common definitions of different types of post-approval changes. So if it's a minor change or if it's a major change, how do you how do you categorize that? And what are the requirements that need to be submitted for that? And uh, it's being implemented in the US and in the and in the EU. But colleagues I've talked to in the industry have said that it may help some, but there's still a long way to go. So in European, what actually holds us back from implementing new technologies? So is it really regulations or is it something else? Because there are many people with whom I talk that uh, say that uh, blaming it on regulations is uh, just laziness or uh, just foolishness because you can always uh, find the solution if you really want to implement a new technology and if you see the value of it. I can see it from both sides. I, I mean, I understand that making post-approval changes is, is difficult, it's costly, um, but I have to agree that just blaming it on regulations is a little, is a little lazy. Uh, FDA, for example, has a number of teams. Um, CEDAR and CBER, they have their advanced technologies team, emerging technologies program, where companies can go and sit down and say, we have this new technology, we want to implement it. Help show us how we can do this without all the regulatory burden. And there are teams in place that will help do that, right? So those efforts are out there, but I, I think there's just the feeling, so much of what we do, not just in this industry, but you know, just in life, <laughs> has to do with our previous experiences. And there's this feeling you know, in pharma, in the pharma industry that, oh, these changes are so hard to make. And, and so people a lot of times get locked into that kind of a mental attitude and, and don't really explore what the possibilities are. So do you think that uh, the reason for that can be also that uh, quality personnel don't uh, 
understand on, or don't know how to convey the cost of quality to the management to say, okay, uh, we should implement this system because it will help us uh, save time, save money. That is certainly part of the issue. And uh, it's one of those uh, one of those issues that has been around, I think, the entire time that I have been in the industry. And that is that it's it's hard to measure not having a problem. It's easy to measure how much it, how much you saved. You know, we have this problem. You write in as the Lone Ranger. You fix it and you write out. Wow, well, you're a hero, right? But what if we didn't have the problem to begin with? You know, how 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 do we how do we convince uh, management that we need to be more proactive? And it's hard. It's it's hard to it's hard to measure and put a cost around preventing problems. Right. Um, and that's, that's just, that's been an issue for a long time. It brings us uh, to the same thing, uh, which we talked about when we talked about the training part, uh, when you started, you said, okay, we are uh, really reactive, right? So how do we become more proactive with, uh, with our approach? So we know that FDA really goes into the, into the risk management. So they try to push the companies to be more proactive in calculating the risks and uh, applying the right uh, processes and the right methods and the right systems and the right technologies in order to uh, stop uh, problems. Um, and I think we will get there. But I think, again, we come to the training and the education of the quality personnel to think about uh, quality also in terms of uh, money and to know how to translate it, how to take some issue and come to the manager and say, okay, we have 30% or 20% that this issue occurs, but it will cost us that and that sum of uh, millions of dollars, or uh, this will close a, causes a closure of the plan because of a warning letter. I mean, it will happen 10%, but it will be devastating. Right, so maybe this is, should be part of the education of such personnel, also quality in Six Sigma tools, for example. That makes sense. And um, if we are talking about technologies, right? So pharma, I always say it, it feels like it's always a bit behind in the manufacturing, in the processes, because we always, uh, the pharma doesn't use the latest tools that are, uh, that are there because it's a bit difficult to validate them, and like we said, or uh, to convince the management that we need the new tools, right? So where are we now in the technology and where should we be? That's a very broad and interesting question. <laughs> I would say that, and this is a story, actually this is an analogy that, uh, that a colleague of mine used recently that, I, that I'll use and maybe, maybe it's illustrative. We have, you have a new phone, you have a cell phone. It's probably fairly new, right? We all do, right? We get a new phone on average, you know, every two years or every year, right? We get an upgrade and get a new phone. Why and why is that? Does it do anything any differently? It's still a phone, right? It still gets you an internet browser, right? It probably has the same apps, okay? But maybe it's a little thinner, or maybe it's a little smaller screen, or maybe it's a little bigger screen, right? And so it's really, it's, it's so much about the user experience instead of just what 
you know, what it does, how better it makes our operations or how much more, what is the user experience with that versus what it was, you know, with, uh, with the old phone. So we have a tendency to upgrade for certain reasons in some areas of our lives and in other areas of our lives, we just don't. Right. right. And uh, so I, I, I think that's, that's kind of part of the discussion that we could have. Exactly. So I think uh, that, um, again, with the phones, uh, in some of the upgrades of the software or the hardware, it's uh, more emotional or uh, you want to show your friends that you have the new iPhone or you have uh, this or that, but it doesn't bring you much value. But on the other side, every few years, there are some breakthrough in technology. For example, with the NFC that you can uh, just pay Uh, with your credit card without having your credit card on you just uh, put the phone to it or you have uh, better cameras and so on and so on but i think the main uh, thing is the user experience uh, what uh, you mentioned that was the breakthrough of the smartphones right so it it, it is so intuitive that you knew how to use it uh, when you uh, switch from the buttons to the smartphone you instantly uh, you knew how to use it because it's so simple and it's not uh, and it feels right they just say uh, to use your fingers to control it and um, i think that um, so many of the programs that we have in farm are so complicated and it takes so long to learn them to master them and it takes uh, a lot of time and it also produces errors because it is complicated and um, i think that um, there are companies that are trying to solve it to make it uh, making better QMS, easier QMS, uh, which uh, brings everything together and uh, in one system. Anyway, but uh, do you think this is the issue that uh, companies should, uh, more companies should uh, create software that is better for pharma? So uh, software companies should understand that pharma is a good market for it and they should start creating good user interfaces for pharma because there is money there and from the other side the pharma should understand okay i know we worked 20 years with uh, this software but uh, maybe it's time to upgrade something that i have a, a passion around having to do with uh, software and using modern tools in the pharma industry part of my theme here has been reflecting on what has changed and what hasn't changed in the in the industry over the 40 plus years that i've been in the industry and one thing that hasn't changed is the way that we analyze agency expectations so fda puts out regulations and the regulations you know, on the cfr are written very broadly right they're they're written they're written very broadly they're subject to a fair amount of interpretation We hope that we interpret them the same way that FDA interprets them when they come in. Um, and so what so kind of what we have done over the years and what I have done is we would say, okay, here's what's written, but what are they actually looking for? How do we find out what they actually expect? And the way that we do that is by looking at enforcement actions, right? So we look at 483s. We look at warning letters that have been given to other companies and we sit down and read through those and look through those and say, here's what they really expected. Here's what they found. You know, here are the areas we should we should be focusing on. But what has happened 
that uh, over time is that we have a lot more agencies um, that are coming in to inspect, for instance. Um, and we just there's just a lot more proliferation of guidance and regulation. It makes it makes it difficult to keep up. So what what we would do in the past, what I have done, and I know a lot of people in the past, when we got hold of a 483 from a company that had a similar a similar product, for example, to what we were marketing, we would take the 483 and sit down and an expert, someone with a lot of experience uh, in the in the industry and in those technologies, would sit down with a highlighter and have a hard copy, print the hard copy, and go through with a highlighter, right? And say, this is important, this is important. You know, they cited this, but look what they said here. This is kind of important. They didn't specifically cite this, but it's obvious that they thought it was an issue. And go through and highlight that. And um, so what has happened over time is that, that people people still do that, right? They're still doing that today, but we have, so for example, where I work at, at Redica Systems, you know, we have developed a system where we can analyze those enforcement actions with a computer algorithm using natural language processing and artificial intelligence tools and produce the same kind of an analysis as an expert would, but no hard copy no highlighter right um and uh, and so we can can go through uh those documents and look and what we find is that we can find what we're calling um, observations hiding in plain sight okay so the algorithm is trained to uh to look for sequences of of, of words that we call engrams and it also uses Turbo EIR text from FDA uh, 483s. And then we have um, what we call these natural language processing tools. We have the ability to, to do that, to, to go in and find out what some of those hidden issues are. And I actually talked with a friend of mine who, they probably shouldn't mention his name, but he worked for FDA for about 30 years. And then recently left, he is now the senior VP of quality and compliance at a major pharma company um, based in Europe, actually. And um, and I was explaining to him what we were doing and how this tool was working with 43s and warning letters. And he said that he said, that's exactly the way that I used to write warning letters. And that's the way that I taught my staff. You know, when I left, taught people who were going to be writing, this is how you write a warning letter. What bubbles up to the, a CFR citation is really, it's important. But again, the CFR is broad enough that um, it can encompass a lot of things, right? So what else, what is it specific, uh, specifically talking about? So you've got the CFR citation, but down below, you've got this other text that says, for example, what he told me, he said, so that's where we would say, okay, this didn't bubble up to a CFR site, but this was important and we saw this and you really should look at this. He said, so we, it, it's written in a fairly subtle way, but an expert with a highlighter can go through and find that. So if you don't have experts with highlighters on your team, 
or you don't have the tools you know that we have built we have have those tools that are available to go through and 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 do that kind of analysis so that, that's quite interesting you know so ai is moving into really interesting directions and uh, uh, automation tools that uh, save time instead of an expert that sits and highlights uh, some uh, issues which he may or may not interpret correctly but uh, you're talking about a system that uh, um, when somebody programmed it he went through dozens of letters and found out uh, the similarities the differences and understood uh, what is uh, behind the the words when they they writes it and what are the consequences so that's a really interesting way to use automation and tools um, to really help your company to move away quicker by using some different um, 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 you know services and uh, what are your thoughts on that in general where are we moving so you said it's a great way your tools are a great way to understand the deficiencies which agencies uh, come with and the irregularities behind it and what it really means. Uh, what do you think is uh, the future here? What else uh, can be done, which we are doing manually, but uh, we can delegate it to a computer soon or later? We can use similar kinds of uh, algorithms and, and tools to look, for example, inside a company at the inspections that FDA performed within your company. Or we can look at inside your company, what are your auditors finding, right? So what are your internal auditors finding? And is that tracking with what FDA is finding, right? Um, so from a compliance standpoint, you know, there's certainly certainly that. Uh, also, as I mentioned, you know, there's there's been such a huge proliferation over the last 10 or 20 years of new agencies outside the United States that come to, uh, that, that inspect. And they have, a lot of them use the uh, EU GMPs or the, or the PICS GMPs, but not all of them. Um, you've got the uh, Organization of Southeast Asian States. You've got, you know, uh, a lot of different inspectorates that have these slightly, you know, nuanced kinds of of things that they're looking at. It's really hard to try to, to figure all that out and, and keep all that together. And so, you know, in the past, we would have a human who would try to keep up with that, or we would have affiliates, right? And so you've got someone who talks, we're gonna to talk to our affiliate in China about this Chinese document, right, for instance. Um, and that's not a bad system, but uh, I, I think that that's another area where we have started looking at using some uh, computer software tools to help keep up and look at what's going on, what's what are the chain expectations, what are the changes you know that are happening uh, compared to uh, what the expectations were before. So, so there there are a lot of there are a lot of ways, at least on the on the compliance standpoint and on the you know, rules, regulations, and guidance kind of area to keep up with those and keep up with the changes and link those to your internal documents and what changed externally and how does that map to what you need to change internally. So if there is a change in something, does that mean you have to, do you have to make a change to a, a corporate level procedure? 
or policy or, you know, and, and then how does that cascade down? So there are a lot of, uh, lot, lot of opportunities and um, we, we actually have done a lot of work in that area at my company. That's quite interesting. So automation of a different uh, thinking processes, right? So that's what you're talking about. So you're, um, so usually when you do a change, you need to sit down and uh, analyze it. How risky is the change to the process, to the quality? How will it impact uh, the specific uh, molecule uh, or your uh, critical parameters, right? And um, then you need to think about the regulatory issues. Uh, what, what steps do I need to take now, right? So if you had a software which uh, already guides you through this uh, process, it probably would be much easier. And then uh, people in quality are more of uh, analysts because uh, they input the information and they read what comes out from it. So this is uh, mm -hmm. basically where we are heading to, into in the technology side that uh, we are uh, inputting information into a system, reading the output, and then making the final decisions. Just keep in mind that for the scenario that you just outlined, that those uh, because those systems are making GMP decisions, they have to be fully validated systems and. Um, and and there will need to be human checks and balances in the in those systems as well. Right, exactly. And then we are coming back to the um, back to the point of uh, having you know the guts, the bravery, the time, and the you know the the patience to change. Jerry, thank you very much uh, for your time and uh, for uh, speaking with me about those interesting topics. Thank you for having me. I, I would enjoy speaking with you again. Thanks for listening to the Qualitalks podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. If you want to learn more about GMP, please visit us at www.qualistory.com. Stay compliant and see you at the next one.